0: Week off, the Sooners head to Ames to face the only team that has not won a Big 12 conference game yet in the Iowa State Cyclones. You're listening to the mainline podcast. I'm Adam Jacquez, along with my co host, Tyler Burton. No Corbin this evening, but we'll get to his picks a little bit later. Tyler, how are you doing? I'm good, Adam.
1: Bi-week came at a really good time, not just for the Oklahoma Sooners, but for this guy as well. Having a chance to kind of uh, get away a little bit, recharge, had a wedding on Friday. Uh, so had to uh, had to be in the wedding on Friday, worked a little bit on Saturday, but got to take in a lot of football as well on Saturday afternoon well into the evening, recharged a little bit yesterday. and yeah, bye, we came in a really good time, excited for the trip up to Ames. I know that you're gonna be in attendance. I unfortunately will not be. Uh, I'll be making the trip out to Denver this weekend, but yeah, it's going to be fun. OU's prepared for a critical five-game stretch, not only to close out the 2022 season, but there's also a lot of ramifications on what it's going to do for the recruiting class, uh, you know, champ, or the I guess what, chosen, uh, the the 23 class, and uh, springboarding this team uh, into next season as well. So big times ahead these next five weeks for Oklahoma.
0: Yeah, definitely a pivotal game going forward, and I'm excited to be there in person. Uh, one of my favorite road trips uh, every other year is K-State going to Manhattan. Uh, some of those ag schools are just a little bit a little bit fun because it's a little bit more of a college town. I know a lot of people like Stillwater for that reason, so uh, it'll be my first time in Ames, and I'm curious to see what it's like. Not necessarily the team that I think that they expected to have this season, so 11 a.m. start, we'll see how the fans are and, and what the atmosphere is like.
1: Yeah, there's something about those Ag schools. Obviously, we've been to Stillwater, uh, Manhattan, had a chance to get up to Nebraska a little bit earlier this year, a few weeks ago. And there's something about those Midwest schools, man. Once the uh, the, the fans, the passion that they have for their for their football, uh, the team, the consistent support. Yeah, there's just something different, and I know that. Uh, Um, I was hoping before OU got out of the Big 12, I would have a chance to make it up to Jack Trice uh, to take in a game in Ames. Sounds like Oklahoma is going to be in the conference for the next couple of years. So I might still have one more crack at it here in a couple of years. Uh, But yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun
0: and hopefully you can bring home a a big win back to Norman. That kind of brings up a thought that I've, I've been having over the last couple of weeks here. And in regards to OU changing conferences and going to SEC, I'm going off a little off track here, but it's kind of funny how everyone talks about OU in Texas, you know, stabbing the Big 12 you know, teams in the back by not telling them about this. But yet, I think at the end of the day, if, if they do stay through 2025, I don't think there will be any other team in the history of college football that announced conference change and stuck around for that many years after the announcement of the conference change, basically allowing the Big 12 tons of time to figure out what they wanted to do, where they wanted to go, how they wanted to prepare for that. And I don't think it was something that OU was going to keep secret all the way up until 2025. It may have sped up the announcement of that, but it's not like well, OU can, was going. Can,
1: yeah, we can thank Texas a and for that.
0: Yeah, yeah, they, they <clears throat> leaked it and. you know, it's not like OU or Texas was going to make a big announcement like, hey, everyone, the phone is ringing and it's the SEC. Like, we're letting everyone know before we answer the phone. So I don't know, kind of silly and and way off track there. But I just thought that was kind of funny. Well, if you're the new conference commissioner and the Big 12 as a whole, I mean, you're loving this,
1: right? The fact that OU is going to be in the Big 12 for another two to three years, potentially you're adding four new schools into play next year. So if you're the Big 12 and, you know, they're talking about all these multimedia right deals, these TV networks, you know, wanting to uh, you know, be able to show Big 12 games. How how great is it going to be from you know uh, a financial? Uh, statistics perspective talking about the fact that uh, with OU and Texas being in the conference for the next two to three years, there's going to be road trips taken uh, to UCF down in Orlando. There's going to be trips taken to BYU and to Cincinnati. So if you're those three schools, not only are you going to make a tremendous amount of money by having Oklahoma come to town because you know the Big Twelve is going to is going to do that to Oklahoma, Texas The OU is in Texas, they're going to be going to all those away games over those next couple of years. There, uh, the Big Twelve. If there's anything that we've seen over you know basically since the announcement, they'll find out a way to screw those two teams because they know they're out the door but yeah it's it's going to be a lot of fun and honestly I don't mind it I know that a lot of people are you know we want to get to the SEC now we want to start making that money now which yes that's all well and good but if I think that there's one thing that we've seen over the you know the first seven weeks of the season here at Oklahoma the way that this roster and the way that this program has been set up over the last decade Oklahoma is in a place right now where they're not ready to compete Week in and week out with some of those guys with some of those opponents in the SEC. So three more years in this conference allow Brent Venables and this coaching staff to recruit to continue to build this program up to what it needs to be. I'm I'm totally in favor for it. I think it's a I think it's a good um, it's a good thing that Oklahoma's going to have to stay in here for at least two more years.
0: Yeah, I I really really hope the Big Twelve doesn't screw us with one of those trips to Provo. Um, that would just be oh, so it's awful. it's
1: happening. You know, it's gonna <laughs> happen. It's probably gonna uh, come before Bedlam, or it's gonna
0: come after OU Texas, or something like that. I'm being totally sarcastic because I would love to go to Provo. <laughs> so, um, well, the Sooners are on the road this week. They're going to Ames. Uh, not necessarily the the big destination that everyone wants to go to, um, but I'll be there. So I'm excited to be there 11 a.m. kickoff. And I think it is a pretty pivotal game for the rest of the season for OU. We had a bye week to get rested, to get some guys healthy. And now you look at, okay, you've you've got this final stretch of the year to really do something with the season. You know, you could still finish... and I I mean, not likely. No one's really expecting that. You could also do the the inverse of that. You could probably lose every game from here on out and totally miss a bowl game. So it's a very interesting opponent in Iowa State who hasn't played probably the best of the best in the Big 12 yet, doesn't have a win in the Big 12 yet, but at the same time, they play pretty much everyone within one possession. And we don't trust this OU defense at all. So it's, it's a very interesting matchup that I think is really going to tell us where this team is going to go over the final stretch of this season.
1: Yeah. You know, having the bye week um, come at the time that it did for this Oklahoma team, you know, I, I think that it couldn't have shaped up any better. Um obviously, uh, coming off of a win against Kansas, you're able to build some momentum going into the bye week that we were able to get your guys some rest and recovery, kind of get into the film room, start to, you know, get the young guys some more reps and experience, having that extra week of practice built in without a game on Saturday. But no, you make a really, really good point. Oklahoma's sitting right now at four and three. Obviously the first seven weeks of the season is not the start that many fans hope for, especially that, you know, three week stretch towards the end of September and early October. But uh Oklahoma's a chance right now. you mentioned it the the five games that we've got left um Oklahoma has a chance to win every single game, but they also have a chance to lose every single game that's you know that kind of describes this league from top to bottom, but I know that one thing having Dylan Gabriel back if he can continue to stay healthy and play like he has been, Oklahoma is going to be competitive in each of these five football games. I think I can confidently say that, but we don't we, – you know, we, we've we heard for quite some time that Oklahoma was hoping to get a guy like Billy Bowman back, kind of the spearhead of that secondary, you know, true captain of the OU defense. We hope that we were going to get him coming back um, off of the bye week. I'm not sure uh, how likely that is going to be, how uh, how severe that knee injury was, but we'll see. But, yeah, you make a really good point. Um, Iowa State sitting right now at 3-4, 0-4 in the Big 12 Conference. But, guys – You know, four losses by combined 14 points for Iowa State in Big 12 play. Baylor by seven, Kansas by three, K-State by one, and Texas in Austin only losing by three. And, and, you know, Adam, if we're being honest, Iowa State pretty much gave that game away. Um, They should have beat Texas, had every opportunity to do so going down the stretch in the final couple of minutes. But, yeah, this is a good, this you know for, this is about as good of an 0-4 uh, Big 12 conference team that uh, OU is going to be matched up with again on Saturday. And the fact that it's on the road in Ames, I don't care what time the game is, I don't care how good uh, uh, Iowa State is that specific year, that passionate fan base, that place is going to be juiced and ready to go for when OU kicks this thing off at 11 a.m. on Saturday.
0: So when OU has the ball kind of yep. an interesting clash of styles here we haven't seen KU go up against or uh, sorry Iowa State go up against any of the top offenses in the conference I don't I don't think uh, but who is the best offense that Iowa State has faced so far well I mean they've
1: they face K-State and they face Texas so you know two in Kansas with Jaden Daniels and Kansas with Jalen Daniels and like I said between Kansas K-State and Texas that's three losses by a combined seven points so they're I mean, you could make a serious case that Iowa State's, you know, maybe five, six plays away from, you know, instead of being three and four, they they might be six and one or you know five and two, something like that. But statistically speaking, when Oklahoma's got the football, Dylan Gabriel and this OU offense is set to face the best defense statistically in the Big Twelve so far this season. Iowa State is ranked number one in scoring defense, giving up just fifteen points a game. Uh, game, they're number one in rushing defense, allowing just 105 yards a game. That's roughly around 3.3 yards a carry, and they're number one in rushing defense allowed. Uh, but which I just said that I apologize. Number one in passing defense uh, as well. It just a, just a hair under 185 yards a game for this Iowa State secondary. So John Heacock's group is playing extremely well yet again in Ames, and you've got to give this defensive coaching staff a ton of credit this year because the Cyclones lo- lost a ton of production. Uh, from a year ago with Mike Rose, the linebacker with Greg Eisworth, the All-American safety. Uh, Will McDonald, uh, as many OU fans are aware of, that is the impact player for the Cyclones defense on Saturday. Every OU fans should be very familiar with this guy, what he's done over the last couple of seasons. Great player coming off of the edge. This guy definitely uh, is going to be playing on Sundays And even though Iowa State, Adam, only has six sacks so far this year in Big 12 games, this is a defense that plays extremely well together at all three levels. So this is going to be a big challenge and probably the biggest challenge uh, from, you know, maybe not necessarily going up against, uh, you know, a defense that is as talented as Oklahoma, but they run a certain scheme under John Heacock and they run it extremely well.
0: Cameo by uh, Lincoln the dog, the dog who still is named after OU's former coach. That dreaded
1: Amazon it. truck, Adam, showing his <laughs> rim, showing
0: his ugly head again. But yeah, the dog's in the house. Yeah, you know what's interesting is, uh, and maybe you'll know the team that I'm I'm thinking of here because I I can't remember it at the moment. But I know someone brought up the Jeff Levy offense, and someone was running you know the rush three drop eight uh, against him when he was at Ole Miss, and I think Ole Miss ran for you know, something like over 250 yards against that particular team. So I'm curious to see how that goes. I know we all have the nightmares of how Lincoln Riley would continue to try to throw it deep against Iowa State, trying to force, you know, the passing game to work. Um, So it'll be interesting to see what Jeff Levy does strategy wise, not just from a running perspective, but we saw a lot of really short passes against Kansas in the last game passes, you know, that were like four or five yard, you know, hooks, um, you know, screens, things like that, that were really just you know, running plays essentially. So I'm curious to see what what strategy he goes with there. And is he able to be content with that? Now, I think it's tough for offensive coordinators to be content with that and not try the big play. And that's what Iowa State tries to bait you into. So I'm curious to see if, if Levy has the patience to stick there.
1: Yeah, I think when you're going against uh, the type of defensive scheme that Iowa State um, has made famous over the last couple of years because it's been able to, you know, kind of handicap a lot of the things that Oklahoma like to do offensively. Uh, but I think that, you know, tempo is going to be one that I think Jeff Levy is going to try to util- utilize a lot this week, um, you know, um, not allowing... Um, Iowa State to, to substitute, um, kind of keeping them on their toes, not be able to try to catch them off you know, off assignment. But I think the key for Oklahoma's offense on Saturday is to build on the running game performance that they had from two weeks ago against Kansas, pound the football on their ground with Eric and Javante Barnes, to set things up for Dylan Gabriel in the play-action game. And you know, Adam, the best way to beat Iowa State in that rush three, drop eight umbrella defense is to run the football. If you can have success on the ground on Saturday, Oklahoma should have a big, big day this weekend. And I I see no reason that that Oklahoma can't run the football on this group. B. John Robinson had over 125 yards last week. Eric Gray, as we found out today, is the number one statistical running back in the country, averaging over seven yards a carry. So if this offensive line can continue to gel, and this offensive line can continue to dominate the line of scrimmage with the backs that Oklahoma has got at their disposal and the tempo in which Jeff Lebby likes to play, I think Oklahoma, if if they can dominate the line of scrimmage, they should have some uh, quite a bit of success on Saturday
0: running the football. Tempo's one that I really wanted Jeff Lebby to be more strategic with how he's running the tempo. And I don't think he necessarily has so far. So I'm not holding my breath that he suddenly changes it up here. But I think this is definitely a game where Iowa State, when they have the ball, they're going to try to hold on to it as long as possible and, and have fewer and fewer possessions in this game. And I think that's part of the reason why they've been able to have so many one possession games is that, you know, they're not going to have the guys running away with it. They don't have a ton of playmakers on offense like they have in years past. So to to balance that you know when OU does have the ball and not allow Iowa State to hold the ball the entire game i think that could come into play um, we'll see see how that might affect things Yeah,
1: I just talked about Iowa State's defense being at the top of the conference in a lot of statistical categories. Now let's flip the script when looking at the Cyclones offense, particularly in the last four matchups against Big 12 teams. In Big 12 competition, Adam, uh, the Cyclones are ranked dead last in rushing, roughly around 61 yards per game. Not very good at all. They're dead last in total offense at around 335 yards a game. And to make matters worse, they're dead last in scoring as an offense averaging just over 16 points per game in Big 12 play. Now, when I look at this offense, it's led by offensive coordinator Tom Manning as an OU fan – Coming off of a bye week, if we can't slow this Iowa State offense down on Saturday, we're not stopping anybody that's left on our schedule. Like I, this, this is the worst offense in the Big 12, and it's not even close. Um, their leading rusher uh, Jareel Brock is averaging just 57 yards a
0: game. Iowa State rushing and, attack, and is, he might not. I don't know what his status necessarily is. The last three games, yes. he hasn't played a full game. So yes. who he's knows been what he'll he's be. been pretty banged up. So
1: Iowa State's rushing attack has been pretty much non-existent the entire season, and that's That's made it tough on first year uh, starting quarterback Hunter Deckers. The sophomore Southpaw is completing 67% of his passes. Yep, that's pretty good by college football standards, but uh – 13 touchdowns, seven interceptions on the year. They're going to utilize Deckers in the quarterback running game just a little bit, try to keep Oklahoma off balance. I know that Iowa State's uh, coaching staff, you know they've watched the film. You've seen what mobile quarterbacks have done. Now, Hunter Deckers, he's not Adrian Martinez. He's not Max Duggan. But he can do some things with his his legs to keep uh, the Oklahoma uh, defense honest. But for the most part, uh, Deckers, he likes to stand in the pocket. uh, That way he can look for and find Xavier Hutchinson. OU fans, seems like this guy is the Perry Ellis of college football. He's been on, he's been in this conference for years. Um, Hutchinson is the Big 12 leader in receptions and yards. So that's going to be a tough matchup for Oklahoma's secondary on Saturday. They've got to recognize where number eight is on the field at all times. Hopefully Billy Bowman is going to be back this week because OU is going to need all hands on deck to deal with the threat downfield that is Xavier Hutchinson. But even if Billy's not back at him, we saw... How good of a game Key Lawrence played a couple of weeks ago against Kansas So you've got to have uh, you've got to have a playmaker, a difference maker in the back end of that second air for Oklahoma and we'll see if Key Lawrence can build upon what he did against the Jayhawks two weeks ago.
0: Yeah, Hunter Decker's a guy that already has seven interceptions on the year. Uh, he's on pace to do far more than Brock Purdy did in any of his years as the Iowa State quarterback. And He was a guy that we always thought of as he's going to throw an interception or fumble it at the most inopportune time. We saw that last year when they played in Norman, and it was the case. But Hunter Decker's turning it over more already. And then you look across the board, and uh, Brock's a good player. Hasn't played much the last three games. Uh, Xavier Hutchinson, very good player. I think the next, you know, highest receiver maybe had like a hundred yards, maybe like two hundred yards receiving. So there's just nothing beyond, you know, those couple of guys. And I think that probably shows up in the fact that, yeah, they've played some close games, but when push comes to shove, they don't have the playmaker to go get them that play when they really need it. Because if you bottle up Xavier Hutchinson, then this offense I think can can shut down pretty quick. Can OU? bottle him up i don't know uh, we'll
1: see and and i do kind of want to point out too you know iowa state they faced some pretty good defensive teams you know over the first few weeks of the season they took on iowa uh to to start earlier this season but then also in big 12 played baylor k-state and texas pretty good defenses in this conference that they've had to go against so it's going to be a big like i said it's going to be a big test for uh for oklahoma on saturday because even though iowa state has faced some of the tougher defenses in this conference I don't think Oklahoma's one of those right now. So uh, I think it's going to be a little bit easier for Iowa State to continue to move the football uh, against the Sooners like they've done in years past. And, Adam, one thing that I do want to keep – I do want you and other Oklahoma fans that are traveling up to Ames or just watching the game on TV Saturday – Iowa State's offensive line in some of the games that I've watched this season. Probably the weakest unit collectively on this team. Their tackles, especially, really struggle at times in pass protection. So if there's one thing that, you know, that we've talked about on this podcast, probably more so than others, the position group that's kind of disappeared basically since conference play started, has been the defensive line group. So I'm looking at Reggie Grimes, Ethan Downs. To me, this is this has an opportunity this weekend with how how I don't want to say not good but they don't have very strong left and right tackle positions to me this weekend has an opportunity to be the R. Mason Thomas coming out party uh, because uh, like I said Hunter Deckers likes to stand back out there not as mobile of a quarterback like what we've seen over the past few weeks so R. Mason Thomas Reggie Grimes coming off the edge I think Oklahoma is going to be able to stop the running game force them into some predictable you know third down so pin your ears back get to the quarterback and you know Uh, get the ball back over to Dylan Gabriel and let's run the football.
0: I was just about to ask you about R. Mason Thomas. Um, I think we'll see a lot of him this upcoming Saturday, but a lot of people circled the bye week and said, that's the opportunity to get some younger guys out on the field. We saw some RSJ, Robert Spears Jennings, uh, because Bowman was out. I'm assuming we'll see more of him if Bowman is indeed out, but are there any other guys, maybe younger guys, um, that you think might see some more playing time after the bye week
1: Definitely wouldn't mind seeing more Gentry Williams, not just on special teams, but let's see if we can factor him into that rotation at the cornerback spot. Obviously with, you know, DJ Graham, um, one of the starting corners or, you know, one of the top three corners on this defense going into the year. And even as recently as Texas getting you know, a bulk of the snaps with him being over on the offensive side of the football. Let's see if we can get Gentry Williams to rotation into there. Probably the fastest guy on the defense. Um, so I would see, you know, going up against Xavier Hutchinson, kind of a bigger body, really, really good athlete. Let's see if we can't throw uh, Ginger Williams out there to kind of mix it up with a CJ Colden and a Woody Washington, keep some of those bodies fresh out on the perimeter. So yeah, I think our Mason Thomas, I always, you know, me, I want to see more Jaron Canick, but as good as Deshaun White has been playing um, th- this season, I'm not sure how much we are going to see him uh, until late in the fourth quarter, but. Yeah, give me more uh, RSJ at safety and give me more Gentry Williams at corner. 1,000%
0: please. RSJ, RMT, we need more three initial guys <laughs> coming on Absolutely. to this defense, so. Absolutely. Um, it's going to
1: be a fun game though. I'm very, very excited because I think we're going to learn a lot about this team. You always think that coming out of a bye week that your team is going to be able to put their best foot forward. They're going to come out. They're going to look more prepared. They're going to look well rested, be able to start fresh. If there's one thing that we saw... That's not necessarily the case. Look at Texas AM this past weekend coming off of a bye week. They find themselves down 17 nothing five minutes into the game against South Carolina. So it's going to be a ruckus atmosphere. Take the ball first, go down score, get a three and out, take the crowd out of it, uh, and bring this thing home with a win.
0: Definitely. Well, let's take a look a little bit more around the conference, around the national scene of college football. We had the opportunity to sit back and relax, uh, watch some football stress-free without OU on the TV Saturday. I actually had an interesting football watching experience this Saturday. I was uh, driving up to Michigan, which is where I'm podcasting from this evening. And uh, I drove until about 11 a.m. that morning, switched drivers and fired up the laptop with a hotspot driving through Wisconsin, watching a lot of football. Priorities. Uh, It was an interesting experience. I don't recommend it unless you have to, which in this case I had to, but um, still got my my football in there. So I- I'm curious. We saw two losses from two teams down in Texas this past Saturday. Texas lost to Oklahoma State in uh, pretty crushing fashion after you know leading that game for a good chunk of it. And then Texas A&M goes out to South Carolina, loses to the Gamecocks. It's cocked over, as people like to say. You October, hate to see it. Like to to see it. <laughs> yeah. So both those fan bases not doing too hot. It's, it's, it, it, it it's hard to revel fully in it because of where OU is at this point, but it feels like those teams are basically in the same boat as OU in some capacity. I, I really don't
1: think you could have scripted up a better bye week maybe Clemson losing to Syracuse. Clemson always feels like there, there's always one game a year where they just catch every single break and they figure out a way to pull out a close game at home. But you know, Clemson remains undefeated, but yeah. Um, I think that Adam, when Oklahoma was going through the three game losing streak, our immediate reaction was, you know, fuck, we're going to, you know, we're always in recruiting battles with Texas, with AM. You know, this is going to be their opportunity where they're going to be able to make up some ground on some key guys or be able to continue to hold leads over guys that Oklahoma is looking to flip. But, you know, AM loses on the road to South Carolina. Texas goes on the road and, you know, blows a double digit lead. You know, Quinn Ewers, you know, 19 completions. 30 incompletions, three interceptions on Saturday. So it was a good week for for Oklahoma fans sitting on the couch, being able to watch those two Texas schools go down on the road. But that kind of brings us to an interesting question that I wanted to talk about, Adam. Who finishes the season with a better record between OU, Texas A and M, or Texas? OU sitting at four and three, Texas at five and three. They've got to buy this weekend, and A and M currently sitting below 500 at three and four. Uh, they've they've got Ole Miss coming to College Station this weekend.
0: Yeah, Texas has a game lead on OU currently. They are on bye this week. Then they'll play on the road at K-State, TCU at home, on the road at Kansas, and then finish with Baylor at home. That's tough. Um, We'll see if if Jalen Daniels is back for Kansas by then because that could significantly change things. I don't know. I kind of thought Texas might have been turning a corner a little bit earlier in the year. They got healthy finally, and then they turn around and they just start laying eggs again. And so I'm like, mm, I don't think I can trust them. Um, but at the same time, I'm not ready to trust OU to have a better record there either. Just because this defense um, has been, I think, given up something like 48 points a game in conference. So oh, we'll, we'll bleep I, that part out. <laughs> yeah. So I think, OU can finish, but I guess if you look at the flip side, then Texas A&M, their schedule, Ole Miss at home this Saturday, they get Florida at home the following Saturday at Auburn UMass at home then they're on the road to LSU or I guess uh no they get LSU at home uh to wrap up the year so four of the last five at home other than LSU I'd say all those are pretty winnable Florida's kind of in disarray Ole Miss I think is better
1: I think they got exposed over the weekend but still a and is a dumpster fire right now and um, Auburn's not good so sir so are you picking A&M or are you picking a, a OU I mean that's kind of the direction I'm leaning right now. I can't believe
0: I'm saying it. Uh, it's just so hard because Texas has that one game lead, even though that schedule looks rough. I don't I don't know if we ever found out. I couldn't find anything on Adrian Martinez if he's going to be playing. I guess there's still two weeks before that game. but
1: Yeah, I would be shocked, honestly, if he plays this weekend. That's kind of one of the reasons why I left the um, OSU-K-State game off my betting card. I just simply don't know who's going to try out their quarterback position. TCU took out another one. Uh, which we'll get to here in just a little bit. But I I think in this one, when you go down and you look at the remaining schedules for these teams, obviously you know Texas has got a bye week. Then they've got a closing stretch at K-State. That's always tough in Manhattan. TCU is going to be tough. They've got the offensive firepower to give Texas fits. At Kansas, that's definitely not a give me for the program down in Austin, especially if Jalen Daniels is playing. Um, and then Baylor to close out the year at home. So I guess you could say you get, you know, you get having TCU and Baylor at home. That is an advantage for Texas A&M right now. Um, for OU fans that if you haven't already go find the Billy Lucci podcast that came out late last night, the, I believe it's the Luchador. You want to talk about a program that is this close and for folks listening and not watching on the YouTube page, um, Fingers are about half inch apart. You want to talk about a program that is on the verge of burning the program down? If if uh, Texas A&M does not win this weekend, they go to three and five. UMass, Adam, that's the only for sure win. And honestly, it may not even be a for sure win. Uh, uh, App State wasn't a for sure win against uh, against Texas A&M. So. Finishing with Ole Miss, Florida, at Auburn, UMass, and LSU, I think that there's a very realistic possibility A&M finish the year at 5-7. Maybe they make a bowl game. Texas, I think they finish maybe 7-5, 8-4. And And then if you're OU, you go on the road, you win against Iowa State this weekend, that puts you at 5-3 with two of the last four being your toughest games of the season on your home field. I'm going to pick... OU in this one, but I think it's very close, but I think there's one thing we can agree on. I think OU and Texas finished with better records than Texas A&M, and then the floodgates of the transfer portal will open, and the fine folks in College Station will have to watch as members of their recruiting classes each of the last couple of years will flood the transfer portal, and we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah, I'm agreeing. I think, to a better program. Yeah, I think Texas A&M does finish with the worst record. I kind of think OU and Texas probably have the same seven and five yeah, yeah. I, I think texas probably finds a way to go two and two and then OU you at uh, i guess what with three and two yeah so that'd be seven and five for both both teams so i think that's probably the most likely result I, I have a hard time picking OU to go four and one or better they need to show me something more and maybe that'll be this saturday against iowa state we'll, we'll find out on the flip side a team that's doing really well way above expectations is tcu But I'm curious, are they do you think they're a real threat for the playoffs? Because they probably need to be undefeated. I don't think they get in at at 12 and one necessarily. And they've benefited primarily from playing beat up or backup quarterbacks the entire stretch here. Um, Really, the only exception was Spencer Sanders played the entire game, but we know he was beat up for that one. So everything else has come up really against backups.
1: Yeah, TCU knocked out Jalen Daniels, uh, beat Kansas. They knocked out Dylan Gabriel, beat Oklahoma. And then as recently as this past weekend, they took out Adrian Martinez and then second stringer Will Howard. So um, definitely uh, a benefactor of the injury bug, you know, biting their opponents that they're playing that week. But as far as them being a threat for the playoffs, I – Honestly, I think that the I think that somebody's going to jump up and get TCU here over the next couple of weeks. It's a really, really good story. Sonny Dykes, what he's doing in year one down in Fort Worth, but just looking at the rest of their schedule, uh, they go to Morgantown this weekend, Texas Tech uh, in Fort Worth. Texas Tech's playing really well as of late here over the last couple of weeks. Then they've got to go to Austin. They've got to go to Waco. I don't see any way in which TCU runs the table and goes undefeated. If they if this is an eleven and one or a twelve and one Big Twelve champion, TCU. I really don't give it much much of a chance, honestly, because I, I, with what's going else uh, going uh, on around the the rest of the country. But if they go undefeated, they have a slight chance. But then I think it gets into an argument where you've got an undefeated Big Twelve champion TCU, probably being argued against like a, a one loss Pac twelve champion or a one loss Tennessee uh, coming down the stretch. So I don't know when it's not OU or Texas. I find it hard that any other Big 12 team is going to be able to leap into that top four um, just simply because of the
0: logo on the helmet. Would you rather see TCU go in as the fourth seed, knowing that they probably have no chance against whoever the one seed is? Or would you rather see Clemson knowing that they may have a, a, a better shot, but it's a team that we've all seen there before? Well, Clemson's got the better defense, but I think you could make a really strong argument
1: that TCU's got better skill talents and better overall quarterback play um, this year consistently. So I think that TCU offensively could put up a better fight against a Georgia or an Ohio state, but I really just don't trust TCU's defense to be able to keep up with either the physicality of an Alabama or a Georgia or for their secondary to be able to keep up with what CJ Stroud and Ryan Day are doing at Ohio state. So, Um, I would love to see somebody other than Clemson in the playoff, uh, but I'm just not sure how competitive TCU could be because they've been such a benefactor of playing teams this season uh, with their backup or even their third-string quarterback.
0: Yeah. I really wanted to pick West Virginia to beat TCU this Saturday. It feels like the perfect trap game. You know, TCU, a team that probably really would love to have a bye week at this time of year. They had it way back in week three. Now they got to go across the country to play TCU or uh, West Virginia. But I just don't I don't trust West Virginia. I don't trust JT Daniels. So even if TCU sleepwalks through the first three quarters of that game, they have the firepower yeah. to score a couple quick ones and, and probably close yeah. that one out. So uh, Let's go outside the Big 12 for our last uh, bullet point here on our national discussion. Pac-12, we had a pretty big game up in Eugene, Oregon. The Ducks took out the last undefeated team in the Pac-12 in UCLA. So is the Pac-12 out of the playoffs, considering that there's no undefeated teams? And Oregon lost so badly to Georgia in the opener in week one. A lot of people saying they don't have a chance to make it back. The Pac-12 is not out of the playoffs. Um, I
1: think that you've seen Oregon kind of, you know, uh, take the turn uh, since that, you know, embarrassing, you know, week one loss to Georgia. They're playing extremely well. That was a really good dominating win at home this past weekend over Chip Kelly and, you know, the undefeated Bruins. But I think that really there's two teams in the Pac-12 right now, that still have a path to make it to the playoffs, uh, with Oregon being one right now. You know, coming down the stretch, Oregon's going to have to take on Utah. They're going to, I think that they'll have a chance to beat them, and then they're probably going to have to take on uh, USC or UCLA in the Pac-12 championship game. As uh, to, so, they're going to have to beat them as well. But then I also think, guys, you know, because USC had a bye week three days ago. Um, you know, after coming off of a loss against Utah, USC is very much still in play because the narrative has been written over the last month about Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams. So, if uh, if USC can figure out a way to run the table over the course of the remainder of the regular season, which if you look at their schedule over the last five weeks, it's pretty much Cupcake City. Uh, so, I expect them to do so. So, if they can figure out a way to get into the Pac-12 Championship game, a one-loss USC versus a one-loss Oregon. Absolutely. I think that the winner of that game will have a legitimate uh, argument to make the
0: uh, college football playoff, but we'll see what happens around the country. Yeah, I think Utah is still alive there, and I do think USC is still alive, although I've kind of circled that game against Arizona as I think it'll be closer than people expect. It feels like the perfect game for Lincoln Riley to have some troubles there. And I do think Oregon... I wouldn't necessarily consider uh, count them out just yet. I think if they buzz saw through Utah and USC in a Pac-12 title game, like they've been going through everybody else, I think people will just say, hey, it was the first game of the year and they're a different team now. But I'm actually going to count the Pac-12 out simply because I don't think that Clemson will lose. And I think they really, really need that. Clemson's final games of the year, they're off this week. Then they're on the road at Notre Dame in a game that, I'll take a shot at him. Corbin said the winner of that would be the fourth playoff team. Let's hope Notre Dame doesn't win because <laughs> he could look real wrong there. Uh, and then they're, they're Louisville at home. They may not have uh, you a know, head coach at that point. They, they've got Scott Satterfield potentially on the chopping block there. Miami at home who has been a huge disappointment. And then South Carolina, top 25 South Carolina right now. Mm-hmm. That might be yeah. the toughest game left on their schedule, but still at the same time, not very daunting.
1: Yeah, so I think that
0: uh, that works the Pac-12 uh, out right there. And here's another thing that
1: I'll say too: a one-loss Pac-12 champion Oregon or a one-loss Pac-12 champion USC, they get the nod over an undefeated Big 12 champion. I'm just saying, just throwing it out there. If Ooh. it's TCU, if it's TCU, and your one loss is against Georgia, I'm I'm telling you if that ar- the the arguments will be made for Oregon to go over TCU.
0: That's it's a whole insane. can of worms that I don't. But have again, time I think
1: TCU is going to lose two games coming down the stretch, so I really don't think it's going to
0: matter. Yeah. But yeah, Pac
1: twelve to me is definitely not out of it.
0: It just feels like TCU's had too much good favor, and they they really need a rest. They need a bye week so bad, I think. And That's what happens when it.
1: your bye week is uh, comes after week two. So we'll see yeah. how long that luck can can last.
0: <laughs> well, it's time to to jump into our bet section, Corbin unfortunately in last place couldn't make it tonight. We're going to go through his picks here in a minute. He is still within striking distance. Uh, so from he's first place, in last third. place, firmly, he's firmly sitting, in he's third under 500. He is firmly in third, but one week could change that. He could go from last to first sure. within one week. So it is still a tight competition here. And uh, we've seen, we've seen some pretty rough weeks and mm-hmm. some pretty good weeks from, from others. The troops yep. held me back from going five and last week. No, thanks to you, air force. But, uh, Let's let's jump in here. I guess I'll go first because I'm I'm currently yeah. in the lead right now at uh, 550 winning percentage. My first pick of the night, I'm going to take Ohio State at Penn State. I'm taking the over on 61 and a half here. Just betting that you know this offense from the Buckeyes is probably the oh. best in the country, oh. and so I I don't think that Penn State's going to be able to slow them down. I don't know that Penn State's going to give them a ton of turnovers like Iowa did, but I still think the Buckeyes score a ton of points, and that's what gets out the over here. Yeah, just thinking about Ohio State and then one of the teams. I've got my first pick
1: here. Imagine what the over-under total would be set at Ohio State against Tennessee on a neutral field. So uh, pick number one for me, I'm staying out in the SEC East. Kentucky traveling on the road to Rocky Top to take on Tennessee. Vols favored by 12.5 points. Hinden Hooker, Josh Heupel. Uh, I think that this is just going to – I don't think that Kentucky has got enough firepower to be able to keep up with Tennessee for four quarters. So it's going to be a night game uh, in Tennessee. It's going to be a blackout from I think what I saw on social media. So uh, Tennessee minus 12 and a half. Give me the Vols to cover and continue rolling on, uh, setting
0: up a big time matchup against Georgia. Yeah. Hopefully they're not looking ahead to that one. Corbin's first pick. He's got the Oklahoma state Cowboys plus two on the road at K state. Who knows who, which quarterback might show up for the wildcats and, uh Gundy always has his guys prepared so he's sticking with the Cowboys there to to cover and I guess potentially win in Manhattan which would be a big one so uh my number two I'm going to the SEC I've got I think almost I got four out of five power five teams for you here Tyler so uh, you might might enjoy that I've got Arkansas minus four at Auburn both teams coming off a bye week Auburn actually one of the worst rushing defenses in the country so Arkansas has got a dynamic backfield there that I think they'll be able to run all over the Tigers and win comfortably here.
1: I like that pick as well. I'm kind of sad I didn't throw that on my card. But pick number two for me, I'm going out to the ACC. Pet Pittsburgh traveling uh, to take on North Carolina. North Carolina right now, the the numbers currently set at Tar Heels minus three and a half. Uh, Mac Brown, Drake May, I don't know how. They're continuing to find ways to win games. I don't know how they're continuing to find ways to lead the Coastal Division, but I like North Carolina in this matchup uh, to win. It's not Coastal, is it, from the way you're looking at me? Are they not in the Coastal Division, or is it Atlantic? No, you're right. You're right. Okay, they're in the Coastal. So, yeah, give me the Tar Heels to cover the three-and-a-half points on Saturday against Pittsburgh. Corbin somewhere
0: is saying – you're picking North Carolina. I'm after you pick going North to, Carolina here.
1: I'm, <laughs> I'm rolling with the heels. Uh, pick number two for Corbin. Uh, he, uh, he's he got the same game as you, Adam. Ohio State uh, traveling out to Happy Valley to take on Penn State. Ohio State is actually the side that Corbin's picking in on this one. He likes the Buckeyes to cover the 15 and a half number.
0: Yeah, that's that a good pick too. I don't think they'll be able to keep up with the Buckeyes there. My number three, I've got Wake Forest, another four-point spread here at Louisville. Lake Forest has been dominating pretty much everybody they've played since that Clemson game. Louisville is is solid, but I just think uh, their season's not going the way they are. Their coach is on the hot seat. So I think the Demon Deeks go in there. It's, it's a 3.30 kickoff, so it's not like a crazy night environment. I, I just wonder how engaged the Cards fans will be. So I think the Deacons are able to, to pull that one out comfortably.
1: Yeah, I've I've got that exact same game on my card, Adam. So completely echo what, what you just said. I've got Wake Forest minus four as well. Sam Harton keeps the keeps the train rolling.
0: For number three, Corbin's got Michigan State at Michigan. He's got the Wolverines covering the minus twenty two and a half. And as someone currently sitting in the household of a bunch of Spartans, this is the worst pick of the entire year. I just have to say that. Uh, so Corbin's going to be dead wrong on this one. I, I'm I'm sure of it. Uh, number four, for me, I had the Bearcats last week. They didn't let me down. I'm sticking with them again. They are going on the road Cincinnati at UCF. It's a pick them actually. Um, and I'm taking Cincinnati to, to be able to just win this one. I think John rice, Plumley, a great runner, a pretty turnover prone quarterback, uh, when he has to throw the ball. So I think that Cincinnati defense is able to really swing things in the favor of the Bearcats here.
1: Yeah, pick number four for me, staying here at uh, at home in Big 12 country, Oklahoma traveling up to Ames to take on Iowa State. Uh, Oklahoma currently sitting at a one-point favorite, uh, which, you know, anytime that you go on the road, that usually means that Vegas is going to give the other team, the home team, three points. So I think on a neutral field, this game's probably closer to OU minus a touchdown. Uh, if we're being honest. So I think that Oklahoma coming off of a bye, I think that they continue to build upon the the performance. The defense is going to play better. I think this is a good stylistic matchup for Oklahoma. So give me Oklahoma minus one against Iowa State.
0: You've got Corbin's next one.
1: I've got Corbin's. Uh, Corbin's also staying with the same game as well, Oklahoma at Iowa State. But Corbin is actually going to go on the over uh, side on this one he's taken over 57 for ou iowa state that's also a good pick
0: yeah um my number five here um i was i did have northwestern at iowa
1: i, but I was thinking far about- away from that
0: yeah i was thinking about flipping it in for ou iowa state there but my rule is i don't I don't bet on on OU games, but it just feels, I don't know, that feels like a trap. I'm going to stick with my my principles here. I'm going to go with Northwestern at Iowa. The under was the lowest ever for a college football game when it opened at, at about 31. It's jumped up a little bit. It's up to 36. And I kind of look at that and go, are both these teams really going to score 20 points each? Are, they, are we going to get six total touchdowns in this game? I don't think so. These are two coaches that play so conservatively Iowa, even on special teams tries to fair catch so much. Like they just, they want to get their offense out there so they can run their plays and punt quicker. And we saw Pat Fitzgerald in the opener setting up the the field goals instead of trying to convert a third down when they were opening in Dublin. So hmm. the the fact that Northwestern offense turns the ball over a lot kind of scares me because that Iowa defense could, could put up some points, but I'll, I'll stick with it. I'll stick with my gut here. Under 36 on Northwestern at Iowa. God,
1: that's, that's crazy. Uh,
0: pick number five for me,
1: I so desperately, um, so badly want to take Ole Miss minus two and a half against Texas A&M. But um, I think that Ole Miss kind of got exposed for what they are last weekend against LSU. They're pretty banged up from some of the things I've read coming out of Oxford going on the road to College Station at night. Uh, that place is going to be loud, despite their 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 team being three and four on the year. So I'm not going to go with that as much as I want to. I'm actually going to stay in the Big Twelve on this one. TCU traveling out to Morgantown to take on West Virginia. Uh, I don't really have a pick on the side in this one, but 69 points to me seems like way too much in this matchup. Um, I think that West Virginia's run defense is pretty good. I think that they're going to slow down uh, the Horned Frog uh, rushing attack. So I think that this will be one where probably, you know, maybe one team high 30s, one team high 20s. So I'm going to take the under. I hate betting an under in the Big 12 Conference, but I just kind of have a feeling about this one. So give me the under 69 for the Horned Frogs and Mountaineers.
0: Corbin also going with a over-under, but he's taking the over on Baylor at Texas Tech, 61 and a half. Tyler Shuck uh, coming back for the Red Raiders. I, I assume he'll be starting if he's available. So either way, uh, I, I, I think that's I think that's a game that is a pretty smart play to take the over. Um, let's jump into score predictions to wrap up the evening for OU at Iowa State. I'll I'll lead us off here with Corbin's. He's got Iowa State winning 31-27, to 27, which puts them the over just, just barely over by a point at 58 total when he took uh, the over on 57. So he's thinking it's over, but just barely. Not a lot of confidence in uh, the Sooner offense to get enough, and uh, I guess no confidence in the Sooner defense either uh, as he's picking the Cyclones there. Tyler, what you got?
1: Yeah, I'm confident in Oklahoma's offense and their ability to move the football on this Iowa State defense. Um, I think that the big thing for Oklahoma this weekend is going to be once you get down into the red zone – coming away with touchdowns as opposed to kicking field goals. That's going to be a big one for OU to go on the road and win this weekend. So I think that Oklahoma's offense is going to play well. I think that Oklahoma's defense is going to take another step forward, but I still think there will be uh, a few big plays uh, that we might see out of Xavier Hutchinson in the passing game. So I like OU to win in a close one on Saturday. So give me Oklahoma 34, Iowa State 27.
0: Okay. I think the key to this game and probably the key to most of the games uh, over the last couple of weeks is can OU get the ball, score quickly, score fast, get a stop, score quickly, score fast, and then put Iowa State in a hole that they're not comfortable in playing in where um, they can't just do those long drawn out drives. I don't necessarily think OU can do that, but I think their offense is enough here that uh, I think 30 points does win this game. I've got OU 31, but I've got the Sooner defense holding Iowa State to more field goals here. So OU 31, Iowa State 23. I still think you're going to see a lot of problems on this defense, but if they can buckle down in that red zone and cause some field goals, I think OU's is able to to win you know, by a possession, by a eight points, but it'll feel pretty good, I think.
1: I know this typically isn't the standard and what our expectations are for an Oklahoma road game, but at this point right now, sitting at four and three, I'll just take a one-point win. I don't care how you do it. Just figure out a way to get out of Ames with a victory, come back home, sitting at five and three, and let's get ready for Baylor. But yeah, I I think it's going to be a really, really good game. I think it's going to be a lot more competitive than what a lot of OU fans are talking about right now. You know, you check message boards, you check Twitter. There's a lot of people that I think are picking Oklahoma by multiple scores in this one. I just don't see Oklahoma being the type of team this week that they can kind of run away with it. I hope I'm wrong. I would love to see a Nebraska-type performance from this group, but uh, I think the Hunter Decker's and Matt Campbell are going to have something to say about it. So OU wins, but closer than the experts think.
0: There's enough corn in Iowa that we might be able to convince the team that we're playing Nebraska. Mm. Never know. So never know. Never know. <laughs> well, well. Thanks everyone for listening to the podcast this week. If you enjoyed it, let us know, you know give us a five star review wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at the Mainline Pod and find us on YouTube as well by searching the Mainline Podcast there. Until next time, we will see everyone again next week for another episode of Mainline Podcast.